Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked in fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgive them. If you retain any of the sins of any, they are retained. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Amen. Man, Bryson, that was a great job. How about a big hand for Bryson? Good job. <laughs> Very well done. Yes, as you can see, we are into the second week of our new Easter sermon series called Monday Messiah. And and, and we heard from a few of you, a few of you who perhaps were raised outside of the church. You didn't recognize there was this thing called the Christian calendar that kind of orders our steps for us. But I've also heard from some of you who were raised in the church who also were unaware that there is a Christian calendar that sort of organizes our steps. And to you, I say, welcome, for sure. Welcome, glad you're here with us. And please know that we are going to uh, celebrate this season of Easter because Easter is more than a day. It is a season, and so we're going to celebrate the resurrection for a number of weeks. And truth be known, truth be known, Christian calendar folks know this, uh, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrection. Every Sunday, the entire year is a celebration of the resurrection. And that's why even during Lent, some of you who uh, took up a Lenten observance of some kind, you gave up something for Lent, you may have heard around here that on Sundays, we don't do the Lenten observance. So if you were giving up chocolate, you don't give up on chocolate on, on Sundays and all God's people said, amen. That's because during, even during Lent on Sundays, we are celebrating in one way or another, the resurrection. So we're going to have some things throughout this season, throughout the season of Easter to reinforce and to remind all of us that we are, in fact, living in the light of the resurrection. This is where we, on purpose, do our spring kids musical, always a celebration. By the way, you're going to want to come see Bryson, who is King Nebuchadnezzar, King Neb, in the upcoming musical. So we're going to have the, uh, the Memorial Marathon service on the 28th, Saturday the 28th, so that we can be out there with the city on the 29th. We're going to do all kinds of things that are representative of the Easter season, including, including that blessing thing that we did last week. So I don't know if you remember this, but if you were here last week, and by the way, the Sunday after Easter is statistically, uh, statistically speaking the worst Sunday for attendance and for all of the Sundays of the calendar. And so thank you for being here. You're obviously very Christian for being here the Sunday after Easter. We are going to do every week, like we did starting last week, a, a moment of blessing. So at the end of the service, just so you know that it's coming, if you weren't for some reason here last week, 
We're going to have our regular moment around the table here and then invite people after the table to go find a place to pray. Some of you will go to the side altars that are reserved for prayers for healing. Some of you will go to these, what we call mourner's benches up here to pray all kinds of prayers. You might make a special trip up here to dip your fingers into the baptismal font, or you might go to one of our two uh, blessing stations, let's say. And today, just so you know, there'll be two over here and two over here. We won't do the one at the back that looked like a huge log jam. So two over here and two over here for a prayer for blessing. And just, I'm not going to re-preach last week's sermon, and again, all God's people said, don't say it, don't say it. (laughs) But to give you another tangible reminder that the presence of the resurrected Christ goes with you into your Monday. I said this last week, um, the resurrection is big, big enough for all of creation, but it's also small, your size to go with you into whatever faces you the rest of the day on Sunday, but whatever you're facing on Monday and throughout the rest of the week. And so we will continue to do those prayers of blessing each week because I want you to have that tangible reminder as you go back to the Capitol, as you go back to your places of work, as you go back home, as you're out there facing whatever it is that you're facing, I want you to have that tangible reminder that the presence of the resurrected Christ goes with you. Last week, we heard, as Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Throughout this series, the Monday Messiah series, we're going to have, one way or another, we're going to have an I am statement. We're going to have an I am statement from Jesus. I am statements show up often in the text that I'll be preaching, and sometimes, like today, they show up in another text that's connected to the text that I'm preaching, and I'll reach back and grab that one today. I am statements, I don't know what we would have in our Bibles if we didn't have the I am statements that are throughout Scripture. You know, one of the the most powerful I am statements that we have, we actually have emanating from the burning bush. Remember that one? The burning bush. Where God says, if you remember, I am that I am. In response to a question that Moses asked, who should I say when I'm going up to Pharaoh and I'm saying all this crazy stuff, crazy like let all these people go, on whose authority, Pharaoh would say? What name shall I give to Pharaoh when Pharaoh asks, whose authority, on whose authority am I releasing all these people? The response from the voice in the burning bush was, tell Pharaoh I am. Wow. Tell Pharaoh, I am that I am. If you continue to unfold it, maybe it could have been translated like this. As I have been there, I will always be there. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. As I have been there, says God, in response to Moses' question, I will always be there. That's what we celebrate through this season of resurrection, that the God who is present in the moment of resurrection is present in your Mondays. And we as a church have to organize ourselves, not in the shadow of the cross, but in the light of the resurrection. For 50 days, the church lives into the reality of the resurrection, of what it means to be a community shaped by the dying and rising of Christ, by the expectation, shattering reality of life victorious over death. Boy, that last line's really important. 
the expectation-shattering reality of life victorious over death. So, I think the culture's response to God saying, I am, the culture's response is, it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. Now, some of my very favorite people in the world are very fond of this statement. God love you. If you're one of these people who says this, I still love you deeply. But sometimes, hear me say this, sometimes we say it is what it is and it functions as a competing ideology to I am that I am. Now think with me. I did a little bit of research here on this statement. It is what it is. Turns out it was first uttered by a, uh, let's see, a Persian wise person back in the 13th century. Like well, this little thing that he said when it is translated into English, like really is specifically, it is what it is. In the States, it was first mentioned in a, uh, uh, a newspaper article in 1949. A, an editorialist said, uh, it is what it is, having to do with how hard it is to live out there in the farmland. And now it's become the stuff of songs. People have written stories about it, uh, music videos, lots of music videos. Saw too many music videos this week, none of which I could show, that all feature this phrase, it is what it is. I think there's a little bit of resignation in this phrase. Now, not necessarily. I'm not sure how you use it, but here's how I have heard it used, at least at times. I have heard it used in ways in which you can almost hear the resignation in somebody's voice. It is what it is. In other words, it is what it's going to be, and it's not going to be anything else. Right? Can you kind of hear that? Let's, let's all psychoanalyze just this much, Right? There are times when folks will use this phrase, it is what it is, and what they seem to be communicating is there is something about this person or there is something about the circumstance or something about the situation that is never going to be anything other than what we see or understand or know right now. In other words, it is for some people sort of a fatalistic sort of thing. This and nothing else it's possible. In opposition to the phrase, when used like that, it is what it is, comes our God, our resurrected Savior, who says, I am. Now, this is the tough part. I need you, and you don't have to stand up, you don't have to point, <laughs> you don't have to do anything. I need to know if you know whether you are more of an it is what it is person, does that describe your sense of reality and what you allow to be true? Or are we resurrection people? Listening, listening as the experience, reality, shattering, resurrected Savior says, yeah, you thought it was death and taxes, but I'm here to tell you it's, it's just taxes, it's not death. I mean, imagine what our lives would be like together. And by that, I mean the church capital C. For sure, I mean OKC first. But imagine what our lives might be together if we lived not according to the mantra of 
it is what it is. And instead lived according to this mantra, I am, and we follow the great I am, who continues to reshape what we understand to be reality. That'd be a different way to be alive, wouldn't it? Now, if you struggle with that, you're in good company. If you struggle with this mindset, if you find yourself more beholden to the mindset of it is what it is, as opposed to all of the different I am statements that we hear from God and Christ, you're in good company. Turns out there is another, even amongst the disciples, who probably is best understood as an it is what it is kind of person. Thomas. Now, how do we understand Thomas? Man, it seems really unfair that Thomas would go down in history understood as doubting Thomas, right? I think we probably should rename him as it is who it is, Thomas, or how about this, completely normal Thomas. There was a story, and we kind of glanced off of it last week. Lazarus died. Jesus is alerting the disciples that we're going to have to make a trip back there to where Lazarus is. We're going to have to make a trip back there because my friend Lazarus has died, and we're going to get back there, and I'm going to do something about it. Hard for these people to believe that this Jesus was going to do something about death at this point. In fact, Thomas doesn't buy it. Thomas says, uh, we can't go back there. They tried to kill you back there not too long ago. We can't go. Jesus says, oh, we're going. We're going back there. And Thomas, a person of deep commitment, deep loyalty, says this. Well, all right, guys, let's go. We're all going to go die with him. You know why, Thomas said? Because it is what it is. The circumstance is what the circumstance is. We're going to go back there. The people who hate Jesus will continue to hate Jesus. Let's go back there. Not expecting that he would overcome death in that moment, but expecting that they would all be killed in that moment. Thomas still says, let's go. I love that about Thomas. So you can say all you want about doubting Thomas. How about courageous Thomas? Let's go. Let's go with him. Well, they survive that moment. And they get all the way to chapter 14. And Jesus is saying really important things. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, Jesus says. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going, Jesus says to all of the people, to all of the disciples. But Thomas, who is, now this is hard for me too, so I'm sure it's hard to listen to, but to Thomas, to his ears, because Thomas is an it is what it is person, he does not get the deeper meaning of what Jesus is trying to say. We know, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, hello, Directionally challenged some of us. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, here's our I am statement for the day. Oh, Thomas, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I'm how the Father is accessible to you. 
Now, Thomas was aware, good student of the Old Testament, that he was. That oftentimes the Torah, the Torah, the Old Testament law, the standard of life and living for every self-respecting, God-fearing Jew, the Torah was often referred to in Scripture as the way. The way of life found in the Torah. Torah is the way. But also in other places, the Torah would be referred to as the truth. And you guessed it, at other places, the Torah was understood as the life. So what the Old Testament authors and thinkers said about the Torah and how it communicated the heart of God, but how it also communicated the way of those who would follow after this God, the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus now uses that same language to describe himself. It's almost as if Jesus was saying, you know that whole way of life that was specked out by the Torah? If you really want to know what it looks like, if you want to put your hands on it to know what it's supposed to feel like, Jesus says, right here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Wow. Now, that must have been a hard statement for Thomas who lives, it looks like at least, by the mantra of, it is what it is. That must have been imagination exploding for Thomas. And if that was imagination exploding, imagine what Thomas must have gone through during Passion Week, or what we call Holy Week around here. When this person who had already said, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. No, 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 I am the way, the truth, and the life. What must have been going through Thomas's mind as he saw Jesus led away in chains, publicly humiliated, tortured, and then killed? I can tell you what's going through Thomas's mind. Here's what's going through his mind. It is what it is. Perhaps, though he loved Jesus, And though he wanted to deeply, he wanted to believe what Jesus was saying, perhaps Thomas, who had such high hopes, high hopes that this Jesus was not only telling the truth, but that this Jesus was the embodiment of the truth, perhaps Thomas was so shattered by what he saw on Golgotha, it looks like, it looks like Thomas left the disciples in the aftermath of the cross. Okay. So, now we're in chapter 20 that we heard Bryson read. It was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked because they were living in the light of the resurrection? No, because they were living still in fear of the Jews, in fear that the people who did whatever they did to Jesus might come looking for them and do to them what they did for Jesus. And so imagine, I imagine it gave them quite the start when Jesus came through the door and said, peace be with you. Does everybody remember what we have said about peace? Peace is not the absence of conflict. Well, this is really important. I don't know that this line makes the kind of sense that it needs to make in our lives, in my life, in your life, in our life together, if we think that peace can somehow be another way to communicate some sort of therapeutic calmness. Now, I, I think that's present here, but that's not all we're talking about here. 
The kind of peace that Christ is talking about here is the kind of peace that Christ would like to see unleashed. I'm not sure if you unleash therapeutic calmness. That's a part of it. But there is a gift being given here if you know where to look. It'll become more clear here in a second. Jesus says, first gift, peace be with you. The resurrected Christ said, see, see, peace be with you. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now this is huge stuff if you've got ears to hear it, because we all understand what it is that God sent Christ to do and to be, right? As the Father has sent me, Jesus says, so I said you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Whoa. A little Pentecost moment here. Receive the Holy Spirit. Again, a gift is changing hands here. A gift is being shared. Resources are being made available to the people of God who are now asked to be the body of Christ. What's happening here is this word, breath, could also have been translated spirit. It's all kind of the same word. So what you have here is this. Whatever it is that animates the resurrected Christ, Christ is now making available to the body of Christ. You like that? Oh, and if you don't think that's scary, just a second, because if you're not scared yet, you need to be. Ready? So here's what you do with this animating life, breath, wind, spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. Did Jesus just give the disciples the authority and the capacity to forgive sins? Yes, but the more troubling news is that same authority has been given to you and me. Dr. Tashin, every week, as a part of his liturgy with the Word and Table congregation, Dr. Tashin every week says, in the name of Christ, your sins are forgiven and they respond to him because they understand this. The Word and Table congregation, the rank and file, they understand it. And they say back to Dr. Tashian, hey, Dr. Tashian, your sins are forgiven. Unless, just so that you don't misunderstand, what's being granted here is not some sort of special power that lets people know how great you are, it is special authority that lets people know how good God is. Good? And so God grants these people this resource to forgive sins, this resource, to use another word that may be more familiar with this, at least conceptually, grants these people this resource that allows them to pastor and shepherd all people, grants them the opportunity and even the authority to say, this is how good our God is. And by the way, he didn't stay dead. So the message of the priority, the primacy of love, 
It's confirmed in the resurrection. And I'm pointing over here because if you're visiting, a lot of times we show this as a resurrection scene and I miss it this year. So can we fix that? Can we go put the uh, big stone up? And I don't know. I don't know. So I'm pointing to the, if I do this, I'm pointing to the resurrection. Amen. So the message communicated in the cross, again, not a symbol of how angry God gets when we are sinful, but a symbol that represents how far love goes to make love's point that love overcomes even our own sinfulness is all confirmed over there at the resurrection. And that power and authority is by the very transfer of the spirit, the wind, the breath of Christ made available to members of the body of Christ and you and I are members of the body of Christ. The problem that day that Thomas is gone. Now again, it's probably not the case that Thomas was simply out on a bagel run. It is probably not the case that Thomas just happens to be out. It is more likely the case that Thomas has fallen away. That's what the verbs look like. Thomas having left was not there. And so Thomas who again, lives by the mantra, it is what it is, is not there to hear it or to see it when Jesus comes looking for his lack of faith. That was not a throwaway line. I want to say that again. He was not there when Jesus came looking for Thomas and Thomas's lack of imagination or lack of faith. Wasn't there. It was already gone. Now, after this moment, no doubt, the disciples said, Thomas, you are not going to believe this. You are not going to believe. Turns out, Thomas, I am carries more weight than it is what it is. Turns out, I am carries a whole lot more promise and potential than it is what it is. Thomas, you got to come back. And Thomas responds, guys, Listen, I've got the t-shirt on. I've got a tattoo that says it is what it is. I'm telling you, nothing changes about my mantra of it is what it is until what? I touch the wounds myself. And so, (laughs) Jesus comes looking for him again. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and now Thomas, having been convinced, was with them. And although the doors were shut, Jesus came looking for Thomas's lack of imagination again. Because that's what love does. Now, some of you would be uh, completely unsurprised if Scripture had said, Man, God was really upset with Thomas this time, and so he cut Thomas out of the will. That God makes sense to a lot of you based on what you've heard. And hear me, I'm sorry you've heard that from pulpits and churches throughout your lives. Y'all, God's mind about you is made up, and the news is good. Now, We are proud Wesleyans around here, and here's what that means. 
God is not, to going, is not going to force this faith down your throat. If you consistently and continuously say, nope, 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 then as my mentor, Dr. Green, has said, somehow in eternity we get what we've always wanted. But I will say this about this God who, as we've already said, is quite the gentleman and will not force this down your throat, but what this God will do is chase you and give you another chance, and then another chance, and then another chance. How many chances do I get? How many do you need? How many do you need? This God, the hound of heaven, that we see most clearly in the face of Christ, We'll come for you in the best sorts of ways in the hopes that this might be the day. That this might be the day that your life mantra, it is what it is, might finally be overcome by a better mantra, which goes something like this in the mouth of Christ, I am. And so the God who pursues, pursues Thomas. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said again, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Thomas, come here, I know what you need. I know what you need. But that mantra of it is what it is is deep. I know what it is that you need. Come here. This is tangible. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And isn't God good? (laughs) Here's what I mean. Isn't God good? Turns out, not believing enough, not believing well enough, is not a disqualifying moment as it has to do with God's connection to you. Man, some of you may have heard that. And again, hear me say this. This is not new. What I'm preaching and teaching, this is not new, I promise. I'm sorry if you've heard that before, as if you have a a limited number of chances beyond which God folds God's arms and says, well, no, no, this God pursues, pursues, and confronts your life mantras that fall short of, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Old Testament version, I am that I am. God will come for you in the best sorts of ways to confront your mantra, which perhaps is today, it is what it is. Folks, no it's not. Reality isn't what you cynically believe it has to be. Reality is whatever God says it's going to be. And at that point, you either participate 
in the I am or you participate in the it is what it is. Now, you can still come to church because God knows lots of folks do. Not as many the week after Easter, but you know what I'm talking about. Lots of folks do. They come to church fully enmeshed in, caught in, trapped in. It is what it is. There's only so much God can do within this cage of reality in which I have placed the God of the universe. God, don't you know that people die? And when people die, that's it, God, period, end of sentence. This relationship is shattered beyond repair, period, end of sentence. This disease is a period at the end of the sentence. My work situation, there's a period at the end of that sentence. God, it is what it is. And God says, let me see what I can do. And here's why. I made the reality that you think that you have trapped me in. And I'm remaking reality in the light of the resurrection at every moment. Jesus said to him, verse 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Verse 30, I love this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. Now, folks who live according to it is what it is typically are alive. <laughs> so they have a life, but living according to I am the resurrection and the life, living according to I am the way, the truth, and the life, living according to God's gift of I am is a different way of being alive. Some of you are facing situations and moments tomorrow where it looks like, it looks like all the evidence points to and it is what it is situation. I get that. Whether we're talking about medical situations, perhaps we're talking about relational situations, perhaps we are talking about educational situations. It looks for all the world like we are stuck in a world that operates according to, it is, what it is. Man, that's when we need the people of God to be the people of God who will be in the midst of a sea of it is what it is, will be the people who will say, eh, I'm gonna live like this, I am. The resurrection and the life. And we are, each of us and all of us, are resourced by the breath, the wind, the spirit of God to participate in the movement and the implementation of life lived in the light 
of the resurrection. What I'm saying is, you need to be very careful, Christian, that you aren't using that phrase, it is what it is, as if it's a competitor to the power of God, because the only one that loses in that moment is you. I hope you'll get a blessing today, another tangible reminder of the power and the presence of the resurrected Christ that goes with you into every situation, in particular those situations that just scream out, it is what it is. Go with your tangible reminder into that situation, thump your chest and say, no, I'm authorized to announce in this moment that I am has a different message. This is what I mean when I say, this is what I mean when I say Christians have the awful tendency to live their entire lives just in the shadow of the cross, understanding faith to be a means of behavior modification. Dear God, help me to be well behaved. How boring is that? When in reality, all of this is meant to be the means whereby as we understand the disciples to be resourced, we too are resourced to unleash peace, presence, and the power of the resurrected Lord. During Lent, you're supposed to give something up Everybody understands that. During Easter, it's pretty good practice to take something up. Well, what if we did actually a little bit of both this Easter season? Let's just practice it. Anywhere that you might have been tempted to use the phraseology, it is what it is. Let's just try just during the Easter season. We'll take all of our, all of us will be taken off the hook after that. But let's just try during the Easter season to substitute it is what it is with I am resurrection and a life. Let's at least try it. And let's gather each week to be reminded, to be reminded that these are high stakes and that we continue to be resourced by the one who died and lives again. So, if you would, come help me, those of you who are going to help me set this table. And to start this season of response to what we have heard in the word today, Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And God, would you remind us these tangible symbols, this bread and cup, broken body, and shed blood. Would you remind us that we are resurrection people? Would you remind us that like those disciples in that room, that we too have been gifted and resourced by the same spirit that fills your lungs? Would you remind us, remind us, God, that we have this message, we have this opportunity, we have this capacity to implement, to enact the resurrection, even and especially in places that seem especially dark and deathly representative of the mindset of those who would say it is what it is. Remind us this week, God, 
to try a different phrase, a different moment, a different mindset, a different message. Remind us this week to substitute your words and your voice. I am the resurrection and the life. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped. And you'll approach someone holding a plate of bread, and as you get close enough, that person will snap off a piece of bread, press that piece into your hands, and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Don't eat it just yet, but take that piece of bread and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say to you, this is the blood of Christ shed for you, and then take and eat. And then, lots of options, lots of decisions to make. Perhaps you'll want to go to one of the side altars, the padded altars, where we will believe then that you are there for a prayer for healing, and someone will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing of a physical issue, a mental, emotional, perhaps a relational issue, and anoint you with oil, another tangible reminder of the sticky presence of God that will cling to you through this week, even on into Monday. Perhaps you wanna come to one of these benches up front, one of these wooden kneeling altars, and we won't assume a thing, but we will join you at some point, and somebody, probably me, at least me, will touch you on the back, the neck, the shoulder, to remind you that you are not alone, and sometimes that's all we need, that you are not alone. Perhaps you wanna make a special trip over here to the baptismal font just to dip your fingers in and feel the chill of that water, and my hope is that it will jar your imagination and your memory, and you will remember the very moment that you were baptized, initiated into this movement of very odd people known as the people of God. And then I hope you'll find your way to a place where a blessing can be yours. Aaron and Lisa over here, Zach and Britt over here. It's very simple. You just walk up and they'll put a hand on you and pray this blessing for you, over you, something that we hope will go with you then into your Monday and hand you a tangible reminder of this blessing and hopefully, hopefully, it will begin the slow process of transplanting the I am messages for all of those it is what it is messages that you're swimming in day in and day out. Take that blessing with you. God is going to tell you what reality is. It's better that way than the other way around. Who is invited to this table? Anyone who knows his or her need for grace, it doesn't matter what else you've done. If you understand your need for grace, you're welcome at this table. If you can't come to us, Jason and Caleb will be coming to you. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way after dinner, he took the cup. We believe to be the fourth cup. And he said, and now we drink in hope. This is the blood of a new covenant, and we drink. Whenever you drink, do so in remembrance of me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and approach the bread with your hands cupped 
the gifts of God, for the people of God. And the people praying these prayers of blessing will be over there for the duration. I'll come back in a minute to pray a prayer of blessing before turning it over to Jason to pray a prayer of petition before we close with the Lord's Prayer. You give light, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope, you restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs. So we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you only you give life you are love you bring light to darkness you give hope you restore every heart that is broken great are you Lord it's your breath in our lungs so doesn't really matter which side of this issue that you're on. We can all pray that God would move and do something where this conversation about education is concerned. We want to invite all teachers, if you would like to, to find a way to get to the altar. Students are welcome to come as well. And we're praying not only in support of teachers and students, but we're praying that God would help us to get to a better place, reconciliation, something that works for our larger society, something that works. Many teachers are gathering over here. If you'd like to be a part of that or if you'd like to be a person who is praying in support of that, please come.
Prayers for blessings still happening over here and over here. Prayers for the educational impasse here. Prayers for healing at the side padded altars. All kinds of praying all over. So please join us. I'm going to pray this brief prayer of confession before turning it over to Jason. Dear Heavenly Father, we confess that we all have it in us at some level to be the kinds of cynics, to be the kinds of cynics who might at one place or another say, well, it is what it is. Believing somehow, God, that we've got a handle on the extent of reality. God, forgive us for creating boxes Forgive us for creating cages and forgive us for all the times that we try to place you in there and tell you just how far you can go to limit your capacity, to limit your imagination. Forgive us, God. But God, would you help us? Would you help us to step back away from these cages that we have built for you? Would you help us to step just far enough away that we recognize that you are the author of reality, that you are defining all the most important words in life. Remind us too, God, that when we fall short, as we fall short, that your posture toward us doesn't change. You are still in hot pursuit. No matter how many times we have said, no, God, not, not me, not yet. Not now, Lord. Remind us, God, that you will still come for us in the best sorts of ways, offering another opportunity to have our reality shaken by the resurrection. And now hear us, God, as we pray for one another. In these moments of prayer, you may be in the posture that you want to be in, but you can place yourself in any portion around this sanctuary if you'd like to pray with those who've gathered here at the altar. If you'd like to pray at the altar yourself, the healing altars are still open if you would like that option. But let's pray together in these moments of intercession. We're going to begin with a few situations in the life of our church. Would you pray along with me for Teresa Veach and her health and an upcoming surgery? God, we ask that your presence would be with her. Pray this morning for Loretta Wheeler, who's not with us. She's with a close family member, her brother, who is not expected to live very long. God, you would surround Loretta and her family today and in the days to come. I want you to have the opportunity to pray for that person who you know needs a physical healing touch from God. And I'm sure most of us who came into the sanctuary this morning has someone in our life who needs a healing touch from God. That can be physical, but if it's emotional or relational or spiritual, that person who God is putting on your mind now, would you pray for them as God gives you that picture of who needs a healing touch in your life. I want to pray for those who are serving around the world. We don't want to go a week without praying for the Johnson family who have given their lives to go to Denmark and ask God you'd be with them in their ministry in Copenhagen. God, come alongside of them and all of our friends serving around the world in places like Toronto and Zambia 
Haiti and Cactus, Texas. Lord, we're grateful for all of the missionary work that happens day in and day out and week in and week out in this corridor at Northwest Expressway and 63rd. Especially our friends who've been coming to this day camp. Lord, we ask that you'd be with the students who've been in our day camp this last week and in the week and times to come. Lord, we ask you'd be with those great volunteers of this great church who've been there this last week and in the days to come, that you would strengthen and encourage them and bless this ministry and opportunity for the kids' day camp and then opportunity through Kids Club. And we close this time of intercessory prayer and what Pastor John introduced the prayer with, with our students and with our teachers and with our legislature. God, it's our prayer that you would make a way forward. It's our prayer now that you would encourage those who are disheartened, that you would lift up those who need your presence in their life now. Lord, just as Pastor John preached, would you make a way forward as the resurrection and the life and not it is what it is? God, we ask that you would breathe those words of peace as you did twice in this scripture in John 20 this morning. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. God, make a way forward for all of us in this state for the benefit and health of our teachers and our students. Lord, make a way in a creative way for the future of the education of our children. And Lord, I ask that all of those who've gathered here at this place and around one another and around this neighborhood and our schools, that you would speak a word of peace and encouragement and that you are the one who makes a way forward today. Heavenly Father, would you be with us as we continue to be a people who come each week to pray a prayer that maybe by the end of our lives we might live into it and believe it. Let's pray that prayer this morning. And if you're unfamiliar with the Lord's Prayer, it'll be on the screen in front of us. And we pray here using debts and debtors. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.